Oh, amazing. Well, it's great to be with you all this morning. Is it fun to be at church? Yeah, it's so good to be here. Well, um, we're continuing our series in the letter of James, so I'd love for you to turn um, in your Bibles, if you can, to James 2. I think it's also going to appear on the screens. James 2, verses 1 to 4. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. This morning, I want to speak to you about what difference does faith make? Stephen mentioned we've got um, a daughter called Florrie. She's 15 months old. And Andy and I are having this debate. At what point do you introduce like sweet treats? My husband is on one extreme and I'm on the other. I think she shouldn't have chocolate until maybe she's 18. (laughs) Cruel, I know. Whereas my husband, he's a chocoholic. He's like, start them young. He says, my grandma lived to 97 and all she ate was chocolate. So clearly it's the way to go. We had some friends who were having a similar debate. Their kids are a little bit older. And um, they basically had the problem where they're in this village and an ice cream van would come round pretty much every night over summer playing music and selling ice creams. And they were finding this really difficult because every time they said no, their kids would get really upset. So they came up with a plan. They told their children that if ever they hear the ice cream van playing music, it's because it's run out of ice cream. I mean, it's so cruel, but it worked. I kind of like that strategy. So bless these kids. Most in the village, the ice cream van comes around, it's playing the music, children are running for their favorite ice cream, a Magnum, a Solero, and these two kids are sat in their house thinking, oh, it's run out of ice cream again? You're joking me. So cruel. I find it interesting, though, that what we believe affects how we act. When you really believe something, it will change the way you live. And that's what James is saying in this passage. He says, what good is it if someone claims to have faith, a belief, a trust in God, but has no deeds? It makes no difference to the way they live. Can such faith save them? He says, faith by itself, without action, is dead. He's saying that a genuine faith, a genuine belief and trust in God will always affect our actions. It will always affect the way we live. And a faith that doesn't do that is dead. It's dormant. Now, James isn't talking about whether we are saved by faith or whether we're saved by doing good things. Again and again, the Bible teaches us that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ who died for us, that we would have a relationship with God. But what he is saying is that actually a faith that is dead and dormant, that's just a belief in God that doesn't make any difference to our lives, is no faith at all. 
rather a genuine living faith in Jesus will always result in action. It will always affect our lives. So what difference does faith make? Well, firstly, it affects the way we see people. A genuine faith will always overflow from our hearts to our eyes. When Jesus was asked what the most important direction we can take our lives in, the most important rule we could live by, he said, there's two. The first is to love God, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. He says there's no greater way to live your lives than by these two rules. And if we'd have carried on reading this passage, we'd have found that James quotes this second commandment. He says, love the Lord your God, and he says, love your neighbor. And actually, this is the context in which James writes everything that he's writing. He says, a living faith looks like loving your neighbor as yourself. Faith in action is love in action. I can often think that faith is just about my belief or my relationship with God and think it doesn't have anything to do with my relationships with others. But the Bible teaches us that our relationship with God is fundamentally connected with our relationships with other people. To love God and to love your neighbor are two sides of the same coin. And that's what, why James says what he says in his letter. It's quite a punchy and challenging passage. He sounds like a bit angry, like passionate about what he's saying because he sees a church and in that church there's discrimination. They're not treating people equally. There's favoritism, there's partiality, they're showing special treatment to the rich and poor treatment to the poor. And James is mad about this because he's saying, don't you get that this goes against everything that Jesus modeled? It goes against everything that Jesus taught. How can you have faith in this Jesus and not love like he did and not treat people like he did? I don't know if you've ever been starstruck. Perhaps you've met a hero of yours, maybe a sporting hero or someone who really inspires you. Well, a number of years ago, I was working in a fine American-Italian restaurant in Scunthorpe called Frankie and Benny's. It's the best place to be on a Saturday night. And one day when I was working there, someone walked in and I couldn't believe my eyes. I was like, you're joking. I can't believe they've come into the restaurant. I ran to the back of the kitchen. I'm ringing my husband, Andy. I'm like, you'll never guess who's here. I'm texting all my friends, telling them. And it was, oh, it was big news that day and maybe you're thinking um, was it a Hollywood actress who walked in or Premier League football player or perhaps even royalty came to Frankie and Benny's in Scunthorpe one Saturday for their lunch no it was far bigger than any of those it was only Paul from the Chuckle Brothers <laughs> now if for some strange reason you don't know who Paul from the Chuckle Brothers is him and his brother Barry they were from Yorkshire and they had a TV program called Chuckle Vision, a kids TV program on BBC for like 20 years. Everything in me is resisting from not singing the theme tune because it's in my head right now. But um, they were essentially, I mean, they're national treasures. They're like local legends. And in Scunthorpe, it's about as famous as you can get. And there was Paul, the Chuckle Brother, in the restaurant on my shift. And not only that, but he was seated at my table. I mean, I was so excited. So this guy, I rolled out the red carpet for him. I gave him the best treatment. He ordered a refillable drink. I never let that get empty. I was getting him a new one before he'd even finished it. I was just on it. I was so on it. 
But the problem was, is every other table I was supposed to be looking after was completely neglected. They were thirsty, they were hungry, they left early and made complaints about me. Fortunately, I just about managed to keep my job and learn my lesson. But it's interesting, isn't it, how we can treat people differently based on the judgments we make about them, what they look like, their reputation, how successful they are. It's the way the world seems to work. We think about our celebrity culture. Who do we want to have pictures with? Where do we want to be seen? Perhaps in our work environments, that pressure to network, to connect with people who are going to open doors for us, to be in the right rooms, to be at the right place. Even the way we date. So much of the online dating is about making snapshot judgments on physical appearance. It seems to be the way the world works. And we see this was going on in the church, people making judgments on appearances and treating people differently. When I think about my own life and the times when I do this, I think it's because I can often see relationships as transactional. And I go into them thinking, what can I get out of this? What does this person offer me? How can they help me get where I want to go? But the problem is when we start thinking like that, we start putting people into boxes of relevant, irrelevant. Useful to me, not useful to me. Worth my time, not worth my time. And if we're not careful, we start valuing people based on what they offer us. And the problem with this is that Jesus did the exact opposite. In Romans 5, it says, out of God's great love for us, whilst we were still sinners, before we had anything to offer Jesus, he died for us. I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact that does God need anything from you? God doesn't need anything from us. He's the creator of the universe. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need my connections. He doesn't need my out-of-tune singing. He doesn't need anything from me. And yet no one loves us like him. There's no one who loves you more fiercely, more fully or faithfully than him. And it's not for anything that you could offer him. See, whenever Jesus encountered people, whether they were rich, poor, men, women, Romans, Jews, holy people or sinful people, he often asked this question, what do you want me to do for you? And we see that in every encounter Jesus had, he saw not what can I get from you, but what can I give you? It's such a countercultural way to see people. He saw the unique worth and value in every person he met, not for what they could offer him, but for who they are, as loved by God. This is what faith in action looks like. It looks like loving our neighbor, seeing the worth and value in them, thinking not what can I get out of this relationship, but what can I give? What difference does faith make? It changes the way we see people. A genuine faith will always move from our heart to our eyes. See, for believers in Jesus to show favoritism, partiality, goes completely against the way of Jesus, the one who came to break down barriers of status, of age, of race, of gender. 
We see in the life of Jesus that faith in action looks like equality. And we're called to love like he loved. So it changes the way we see people. But secondly, faith changes the way we love people. A genuine faith will always have to move from our heart to our hands. In the church James is writing to, it seems not only are they seeing people in a way that means they're judging them unequally, but the need they are seeing, they're indifferent to. There's poverty on their doorstep and they're not bothered. In verse 15, James writes, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? James is saying that a living faith isn't just full of good intentions and kind words, but action. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can feel overwhelmed by the needs in our world, overwhelmed by the injustice, overwhelmed by the inequality. Just this week, I was listening to the news and listening to the climate crisis and all that's going on in our planet and I'm there kind of scrubbing this jam jar, trying to get it ready for the recycling, thinking, am I making any difference? These problems can feel so huge that we wonder, can I do anything? They seem impossible. But I find it interesting that Jesus said that we should love God and then he didn't say, and go and solve all the world's major problems on your own. That wasn't the second commandment. He said, love God and love your neighbor. Our neighbor is the one that we live near. Our neighbor is the one we're around. And this doesn't mean that we don't care about these issues in society that breaks God's heart, we do. But Jesus is saying, begin where you are. Begin with those around you, with those you work with, with those you're involved in. A number of years ago on my 18th birthday, I was given an iPod. I don't know if anyone remembers iPods. They were kind of like iPhones without the phone, basically just the music. And a friend gave me, and on it had this little inscription. It was a quote from Mother Teresa. And it said, not many of us can do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love. Now this didn't fit on, so it just said, small things, great love. And I I really appreciated this gift, but if I'm honest, that quote really wound me up. See, I was 18. I was like, I don't want to do small things. I want to do great things. I want to change the world. I was thinking, Mother Teresa, why are you thinking so small? Let's do big things. What what difference are small things going to make? I think she was right. Small things with great love make a huge difference. And sometimes I think we can feel so overwhelmed by all the things we can't do that we fail to see what we can do. When I was uh, 17, I had to leave home. Um, My mum had passed away of cancer when I was 14 and my dad had struggled um, ever since. I'd become a Christian not long before my mum had passed away and I guess in those few years afterwards, especially after I left home, I really started to question my faith in God. I had questions about why my family would have broken down in the way that it had. And, and I was around um, in a church family a lot. And during that time, it was their faith in action, their small acts that spoke more powerfully to me than any preach or sermon or thing that I'd heard. And just the other night, I was preparing dinner and I was um, chopping an onion. 
And I remembered Sarah from church who had taught me how to cut onions. I think she'd seen I was doing a terrible job of it and she showed me this way of doing it in a way that means you don't cry and I also wouldn't chop my fingers off. It was a great way of doing it. And I thought about her and I thought about her and her husband Dave. They'd just got married and they were at church and after I left home I had nowhere to go and they took me in for a night. And one night became three years. And over those three years, through such small things, they showed me so much love. They put the love of God into action. I think about how they used to come pick me up when my shift finished at another fine American-Italian restaurant called Pizza Hut. I think about how Dave taught me how to budget and do finances. I think about Sue, who taught me how to make gravy, that you meant to have it hot and stir it so it thickens. I think about Janet, who used to take me for fish and chips. I think about Russ and Sarah who invited me over at Christmas time to help decorate the tree with them because I didn't know where I would be that Christmas. I could name to you so many people and so many small moments that spoke such love into my life. They were people who through those actions made the love of God visible when I couldn't see it in my own life and when I doubted that it existed. Small acts with great love make a huge amount of difference. What difference does faith make? It changes everything. When we make the love of God visible in a world that so desperately needs to see it. So I wanna ask you this morning, who's your neighbor? What's going on in your neighborhood? I don't just mean the street that you live on, but at work, your colleagues, the industry you're in, that's your neighborhood. Or perhaps you have connections with people all across the world, family, friends, or your work is to do with that. They're also your neighbors, even if they're miles apart. What does it look like to begin there? What needs is God wanting you to act on? It begins with seeing people we wouldn't usually see, seeing the value they have in the eyes of God, seeing the injustices and inequalities that we would usually walk past, seeing the need and doing something about it. We're about to celebrate communion together and it's in this moment where we remember the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. Jesus, who before we could offer him anything, gave his life for us, gave his life for you, is on the cross, he dealt with everything that would separate you from a relationship with God. He overcame it all. And he did it to reveal God's love for you. It's in this moment we get to receive his love and his forgiveness. But it's in this moment too that he sends us out to share that love with the world. 